Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Here we go. Excellent. How exciting is this? Not one, not two, but three. Three. <laughs> Humans on the run the brave at the one time. Yeah. We're all sweating because we're all piling up in the kitchen. On the hottest day of the year. <laughs> I am thrilled to say that I have at the Broadway kitchen table, Davy Calder, Graham Quinn and Paul Devlin. Hello. Hey. Hello. 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 Hot drinks. <laughs> yeah. Not sure they're yeah. the ones that they ordered. Yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a with a wearing, a lovely jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> so this person called Anthony messaged me saying, yep. "I'm doing this really cool project." So mm-hmm. that's, I'm just paraphrasing. That's not what he said. But I was like, "This sounds like a very cool project," and he was like, "I'm not going to come and tell you about it, but some wonderful humans are." Yeah. Hence why you're here. Here we are. Here we are. Across. <laughs> The universe. Yes. Okay, so hundreds of questions. Um, first of all, what do the Beatles mean to you all individually? Right. Oh well, should I go first? <laughs> go um, go well, it's, I think we've, we've all got our, our own sort of background and, and upbringings with different bands, but for me, the, the Beatles are are my biggest influence in terms, you know, musically since I, you know, since as early as I can remember, really from. From the first time I actually listened to music or sat down at a drum kit, being the drummer in the band and all that, you know, so um so that's all I've you know, I've ever really known in terms of like my biggest musical influence and inspiration has been has been from that band. So um it's always been a a sort of like a wee goal of mine to do something based around the Beatles of the music of the Beatles, but I was never really sure in what way. You know, I, I know there's a, there's tons and tons of Beatles tributes at, in the UK, I think there's over a thousand now, um, and they're all really, and I've got friends that play in Beatles tribute acts, and they're all really, really good. Um, so it was just a, a case of trying to celebrate the music that I grew up listening to and that I love, and I still love to this day, and I listen to constantly, and just trying to formulate that somehow into a theatre-type show that people would enjoy people that enjoy like the recordings of the, the the latter years of the Beatles, the studio years, the Abbey Road years, if you like, um, and they would enjoy coming along and just seeing some of the instruments that were played on those albums and hearing some of the details from the players on the stage, you know, and a wee sort of collaboration between instrumentalists and vocalists mm-hmm. with some orchestral players in there as well. So it was really just kind of thinking, how do we celebrate this great music that the Beatles never really played live. You know, they, you know, they, they, right. they obviously their, their albums go down in folklore as groundbreaking at the time with the new studio techniques mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that were being generated at that time, but there was never a necessity for them to actually ever do it live. And the Beatles tributes acts that you can go and see in any theatre up and down the UK are all doing these songs, but they're, they're doing them with an element of, you know, backing tracks or whatever but and that's no slight on them i still i still think they're i still think any beatles um act i've i've seen i went to see one in the king's theater last month for example they were brilliant you know they were really really great and i would always enjoy going to see that type of thing because it's my favorite band or whatever but um yeah it was just a case of for me personally wanting to do something with the music i love you know but try to do something different to what's already 
out there. Okay. So what do you, what instruments do you play? So I'm playing a bit of guitar in the band, but mainly I am, so I was the last to join the band. Okay. I think you guys can probably speak better on, it was the John role that was kind of the stickling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, to, to be honest, from the outset, we never, because there's so many of us, there's, there's more than four of us involved. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we weren't really had a cast iron thing about, we need somebody to, to play the role of Paul McCartney or John yeah. Lennon. We just thought we'd get everyone together and we'd get a bunch of singers together and we'll just, you know, we'll, and we'll see who can cover what, you know. So, but as time has went on, it's, you know, you, you, you sometimes find what folks' strengths are Boy, and what they'd be more Boy. suited to. So Graham, Graham definitely did fit the John part and the George part, actually, with the type of voice Graham's got compared to the type of voice that Paul or other yeah. main vocalist had you know so mm-hmm. Graham came along and sang a few songs with us and he just he just fit the role perfectly you know he just had the, the type of voice and the detail that we were, we were looking for to fill the if you like the inverted commas the John Lennon part but then we discovered that no actually he's really good watch the things so including running the social media pages as well uh, so yeah I think I think um the stars aligned with that in some way when when Graham came down because we were just needing that final piece of the jigsaw needing filled, mm-hmm. and we knew right away as soon as Graham came down and sang that he, he was the man for the job. Okay. It was cool. amazing for me as well, just in terms of the first time coming into rehearsals. It was Anthony who sourced me for the band, right. and <clears throat> when someone asks you about a Beatles tribute act, you kind of. <laughs> It's, it's the same as David was saying, like, you, you don't really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. But the first time I walked into the room to play with the guys, just hearing how accurate they have it to the records, just, it blows your mind. It really is so good. Yeah, because I think Anthony had messaged, Anthony's message to say something like, no gimmicks, no costumes, like, no yeah. dodgy wings, like, yeah. that's not what it's in music. Yeah. That's what got me, because as a music fan... Yeah, somebody who's been brought up in a household full of music, and my dad playing guitar and I playing guitar, like you know, it's always a bit the music, yeah. you know. And uh, it, there was just something about the project just seemed really unique. Mm-hmm. From your perspective, Paul, like weird. So you there from like its earliest fruition, kind of thing, the idea of it. More, more or less, uh, mm-hmm. Davy, uh, well, phone me or text yeah. me or something like that. And initially, actually, to, to my regret, I was like, listen, I've got a lot on. I, I don't think I've got time for this just now. But after having thought about it, uh, and Davy, you know, kind of just what, what, what you were saying there, kind of saying, no, this is not, it's not just going to be four of us in a room. This, there's going to be orchestral players. There's a lot of us here. We're really aiming for as close to 100% accuracy to the original record as possible. It kind of just sparked my imagination a wee bit, and I kind of thought about it for a week or so, and got back in contact with you to say, "Now, do you know what? I've, I'm, I'm in. Hey, I'm, I, I want to do this. This sounds, this sounds really exciting." Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I have. Mm. Similar to what Graham said, just the very first rehearsal, uh, and I've, I've played in plenty of bands before, and sometimes you get together and you think, "Oof, we've got a lot of work to do here." Uh, so what do you play? So I'm playing uh, keyboards, specifically uh, Fender Rhodes organ and that kind of thing, okay. uh, and some backing vocals as well. Uh, so yeah, that, that very first rehearsal, I just, I remember being in the room with, with everybody. Graham wasn't on board at that point yet, and uh, it was Dear Prudence. We, we played several things in that first rehearsal, but I remember after the first couple of times we threw Dear Prudence and thinking, oh baby, this, <laughs> yeah, we've, 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 really, we've yeah. really got something here. Uh, 
So yeah, uh, it's been it, it really has been so much fun, uh, and I mean we're all working really hard. I mean we're we're listening to records with a real surgical ear. Do you mm-hmm. From my point of view, I'm listening on right that, that Fender Rhodes. That's got a wee bit of reverb on it, but there isn't any reverb on this track, right? So that the organ sounds like this on this track. You're trying to replicate these exact sounds. Wow. So is it all done by here, or is there music? Is there sheet music clearly available? There, there, there are sheet. There's, there's, we've been transcribing um, a lot of the parts for the orchestral players, the, for the string players or brass players and whatnot. But a lot of the the band parts, if you like, drums, bass, guitars, keys, um, are pretty much done from. Well, I would say a high percentage of it is done by ear. Right. So we. The great thing about YouTube nowadays is that you've got these isolated tracks where you can you can you can just call up, ah. you know, Ringo's drum sound or whatever, and you can hear the the, the exact type of uh, towel dampening techniques that he, that he used back in the sixties. And but I, I suppose you can only take that so far unless you get a hold of the the original instruments that were used back in the sixties. So so that was a, a big part of us getting together was to acquire these these instruments so like to myself I've got the 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 Ludwig super classic bop kit that Ringo played from pretty much 1964 1968 so I managed to get a 1967 kit wow. with the, the same same wood finish and the same diameter of shells and all that that generates that exact Ringo sound and then as, as, as Paul said that first that first rehearsal was really the first time that I got to try this new kit a kit that I've been wanting to buy or get my hands on for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. Yeah, uh, but they're very rare. They're not difficult to find. People have them, but yeah. people don't want to part with them because yeah. they're, they're like ornaments, you know. Um, so there was there was a guy down in Leeds selling one. And, uh, somebody tagged me and it said, like, I know you're looking for this type of kit. You know, I, I basically drove to Leeds that night and, and, and got the kit straight away and drove up the next day. And in terms of trying to get the exact sounds, so, that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that particular drum fill sounds like, or the, the start of Come Together on Abbey Road, you know, if you want to replicate that exact drum sound, then you need, you kind of need that that type of kit that you play, you know, so it was just this, that level of detail. We thought, if we're going to go into this, we need to kind of go into it, kind of all in, and and we'll, and we'll see what comes out after the first get-together. And as Paul says, as soon as we got together that, that first day, it was like, oh, I think, you know, we're definitely on it something here, you know. And like any band rehearsal, it was a wee bit sort of like, rough around the edges as it would be in the first meeting but I think all of us that day left with a real feeling of excitement that this is I just think this could be really really special you know when was this then when, when did... this would be back in maybe the middle of April okay mm-hmm. I mean I can't even imagine how you start to put some of this together like so is there a number of tracks <laughs> like that you were so I understand it to be between the years of 66 and 70 yeah right? yeah is that every song that they produced in that time? We won't be doing every every song, but for, for Beatles fans, we'll be listening from pretty much the Revolver album, 1966, right up to the to 1970. Okay. We're just basically, you know, cherry picking the a, a selection of songs from those albums. We did, you know, we did speak at one point. Should we should we actually try and play full albums? Uh-huh. And maybe that's something we can do in in, in future years or whatever. But we thought at the start maybe that's maybe. Aiming for Utopia right at the beginning, you know, we'll Gosh. just we'll just kind of like we'll go with the the, the big hits that are big, or the or the the songs that people would like to listen to that incorporate the the orchestra, you know, yeah. or, or at the, the, bringing in our string players and our brass players, uh, yeah, and that the people would recognise those songs, but with yeah. and and also picking out 
some more obscure songs from their albums that people maybe wouldn't be familiar with. But I reckon that the folk that are coming to see this show in November will be familiar with pretty much the, the, the entire set list that we're going to play that night. It's the sellout already. It's sold out it's within sold out. two weeks. Two to three weeks. So we were just having a conversation before this Narcy about how difficult it is these days to uh-huh. get yeah. seats. Yeah. I mean, like, we're what, in September and yeah. it's going to be sold out. That just speaks volumes about, like, what this is yeah. and what it means to people and the, the want and the need for it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that's right. I think this is kind of part of what we spoke about, that people people like people like listening to the Beatles. Yeah. It's some of the yeah. best music ever written, some of the best music ever recorded, and doing it with a 20-piece band and orchestra is... Yeah, it's difficult. I think people appreciate how difficult it is and hopefully how, how good a show will be. Uh, I've had loads of folk, folk that I haven't spoken to on Facebook for months or years message me saying, oh mate, I'm looking forward to coming because I've been advertised on yeah. Facebook. And I'm like, oh, well, how are you first of all? Because I don't see But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, so yeah, I think it's really speaking yeah. to people, mm-hmm. which is great. We're, yeah. Yeah, absolutely yeah. When, when we booked St. Luke's in November, we're kind of like, we, we didn't really know. We were looking at several venues before we decided to go with St. Luke's, but we wanted somewhere that had a nice sort of, you know, it's a beautiful, stunning venue for a start. Yes. Um, and we we looked at another few venues in and around Glasgow, but we thought, you know, it's a, quite a big venue, you know, for our first show. We'll see how it goes. And, and obviously, as Paul was saying, you, you, you let friends and family know that, you know, we're going to announce a show in the second week in August or whatever. And friends and family did go on and get tickets, you know, but then we're getting ticket updates every day every couple of days yeah. and we're like who are these people buying all these tickets <laughs> I don't know who you are but keep buying them you know <laughs> uh, and then within three weeks it was that was it you know um, a full allocation just went so and we'd never planned for that yeah. you know we, we announced hope we'd hoped for it we, we'd hoped we we'd hoped for it definitely you know but we thought we, we never really expected to, to, to sell out in a couple of weeks and it's, I don't know if it's added pressure, but now we've just we've just like, all the tickets are away. Now we need to go and do a show. <laughs> it's it's sure. how it took us by surprise, though, because we've been speaking about right what marketing tactics yeah. are we going to use, and we planned it all the way up until yes. the start of November. Yep. Of at this point, we can start advertising for more tickets. We can maybe run a competition. So for for all the tickets to be gone at this stage, it's just mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah, yeah. we're so so happy for the support as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's just it's it's really. It's just like the atmosphere of the night is just going to be great. I mean, packed venue. I mean, yeah. everybody buzzing for this. Yep. This one off, like, and it, it's one night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's one night, and uh, we just want folk to get a taste of what's to come for. For next year, this is really just a, a, a chance for us to play. It's a debut show. It's, a, it's really a showcase. So where are we now, like in the rehearsal process? Rehearsal process, but we're actually just about to move into our own our own rehearsal room this Monday. Um, we have been rehearsing as much as we can in Glasgow rehearsal spaces, but but there's been so many of us, it's it's difficult to get everyone together on this in the same night sometimes. Yeah. So we're we're moving into our own studio on Monday. Um, I've just basically got f- that for the next few months just to concentrate. Um, on as many nights as we can, really, just to pull everyone together and work on different different parts of the show that need tweaked. But yeah. really, yeah, it's from now on. This is this is this, this all really. I feel feel pale, You know, all you're really excited about what we can produce in, in the next few months. And as I was saying at the start, I think when people see a Beatles show advertised, the first thing they'll probably think of is like you were saying at the beginning there, the the, the four guys with suits on and, and mop top wigs and. And whatever, uh, but it's just getting that message out that it's absolutely, it's absolutely not that that you're coming to see. No. <laughs> it's far from it, you know. Um, and it's really just aimed at 
the sort of musical accuracy of mm-hmm. of the later years, which I would love to go and see. Being a fan, you know, I would, I would, I would love to go and see something like that. You know, so it's. So as of this Monday, we'll basically be loving each other, I think, for the next eight weeks. Uh, Commune. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of um, at this moment in time as we speak, what's the number that you're most excited about? Right, we'll, we'll do it. Everybody will get a shot, right? Paul. Do you know what? Right now. Right now. So it's not, it's not, it changed since an hour ago. It changed since an hour ago. It changed every day. Uh, I think the one that I think I'm most excited about just now is probably uh, the, the, what, what we're kind of calling the Abbey Road medley. We're not doing the entire second half of Abbey Road, but uh, Golden Slumbers carry that weight in the end. Uh, it's just, I just love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got emotional. It's just yeah. so great. Uh, and I didn't really know uh, the, the latter half of, that, of the Abbey Road album that well. Uh, I, I had heard the songs uh, kind of through at some point in my life, but listening to it as often as we're having to listen to it just now and listening to it in as much detail, it's just it's so perfect. It's perfect. It's mm-hmm. uh, I absolutely love it. And uh, so my, my kind of background is a uh, kind of composition. I, I was in London. I studied composition for screen and that kind of thing. So. Actually, the, the the Beatles. When I first listened to the Beatles when I was a kind of teenager, it was one of the first, one of my first memories of ever thinking, how did someone come up with, how did someone mm. imagine that idea mm. and actually compose this? Uh, the Beatles and a couple of other artists were the first time I ever remember being interested in the creative process. Okay. So now getting to really kind of strip that back and analyse, mm. right, so there's, there's horns and this one and then there's strings here and then there's this, this keyboard part, it's just fascinating and all of that just comes together so perfectly in those three songs at the end of Abbey Road, it's just, uh, it's, it's such a glorious, geeking out. Yeah. oh man, oh, big, <laughs> oh, big time geeking out, uh, yeah, just really, I'm loving analysing uh, all, all the parts of it, but the way I think those three songs come together for me is just, mm. Shift kiss. Yeah. That is, uh, face light up in your phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that'll be a different answer tomorrow. <laughs> what about you? For me, I would say Eleanor Rigby is probably the big one. Yeah. Just because we, we, we don't play in it. <laughs> no, 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 come on, come on. <laughs> we'll be out of the bar then. So we've had a couple of uh, vocal kind of harmony sessions and just kind of hearing how everyone's voices glue together to form that but then so we are we are practicing that along to scratch tracks just now trying to conceptualize the fact that there's going to be strings players adding to that you listen to that song so many times over the years and it's it's just such a striking piece but to hear it come alive mm-hmm. and actually be the way it would have sounded in a room yeah. with all those with those guys playing it it's just yeah it's just stunning. Yeah. Anything with the harmonies is a big yeah. one for me. Yeah. And I was watching them. For me, it's going to be it's the, and there's a, a, a wee story behind it. So I hope I don't bore everyone with the story, but it'll be it'll be <laughs> <laughs> just jump in if I, if I want too much. But it'll be Strawberry Fields Forever, and purely because it was one of the first songs I learned to play on drums when I was ten or eleven years old. I grew up in a not a musical household at all. None of my family played a music instrument, which is quite unusual for. You know, to go in and play, do music professionally. Usually, if you if you're a professional musician, it comes from maybe your your dad played the guitar or your grand played the piano or something like that. But none of my family played uh, an instrument. So, but I always loved drums, and my dad played Beatles records all the time. And I was always I always listened to the sound of the drums, 
And I think when I got to about 10 years old, I think my mum was saying to my dad, I think we need to get I think we need to get a drum kit for this Christmas. Because <laughs> being from East Kilbride, there was a music sh- shop, and it's still there actually, Trish Day, in, in, in the old village in East Kilbride. And me and my pals used to go down there on a Saturday afternoon, and they all looked at the guitars and all that. And I, I never I never bothered with guitars. You know, I never looked at guitars at all. I went through the back and uh, all the drum kits that were up on the stands and all that, you know, I, and I just sat in there and played drums. And then... Eventually, when uh, my mum and dad bit the bullet and got me a kit, it was like, okay, let's have a go at some some Beatles songs. I was about eleven at this point, and Strawberry Fields was one of the first things. I never had any drum lessons at that point, not until I went to high school. But that was one of the first songs that I started to learn how to play with the quality of these guys beside me. You know, it's just going to be a special moment. So, yeah, it's just purely for the fact that it was it was one of the first things I ever attempted musically was that song. And I hope I can do it justice. It's almost just punctuate your, like, I guess, your careers, but also just your life. Like, mm. there's always a song or songs that, you know, yeah. I was there when I heard that or when I first heard <laughs> that. Oh, that makes me think of that person. And I guess there'll be num- several numbers within the set that you're like, oh, I've got an attachment to that. Oh. Even if it's like just, oh, my God, how many hours have I spent? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, Revolver for me is probably my favourite album, although we're not, we are doing tracks from, I won't spoil it or anything like that, but we are doing, we are doing quite a few tracks from Revolver. But that for me was like the best, you know, that that was, I, my dad had a, he had a Revolver vinyl, a, an original, and I took it to, a, well, sorry, dad in advance, but he knows this anyway. <laughs> uh, but I, I did take it to a party one night and put a scratch on it, and I still have it. I, I've got it up in the wall in my living room and a wee frame and all that with a, with a beautiful scratch during Taxman. So I don't think my dad's ever forgave me for that, but. <laughs> but he's coming to the show, so hopefully we'll make up. <laughs> those, those were difficult days, I tell you. <laughs> in terms of like, the creative process, in terms of just even choosing, you're saying the numbers that you've chosen, mm-hmm. how, how have you came to these are the songs, these are the ones we're doing? Several arguments. If you were to try and find a set list that was going to make everybody happy, yeah. You would need hours. The the Beatles stay with people so far through their life, yeah. I think, just because there's such a there's so much stuff there. We've tried we've tried to spread it, you know, through mm. evenly through the albums from '66 to '70. We've tried to have an even an even spread there and tailor it and incorporate it for for the players that we have on the stage for you know our strings and brass. It's been a difficult. It has been. We've been round in circles with it a few times and. I've just I, kind of got to go with your gut, I guess, eh? I think so, yeah. I... Well, I think that is what it's come back to. Mm. Kind of similar with Graham said, because you've actually established my point going, well, we could play any song from any album, because mm-hmm. they're, all, okay. they're all great, and yeah. most people will, will like every one of them. So mm. how, from your starting from there, actually mm. it would be easier if there was a few songs that were mints, because you could <laughs> 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 you know, but there's... there's, 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 there's it could be any, so you're starting from such a vast selection. So yeah, it has, it's been... Democratic-ish. We've only got so many hours to, to, yes. to fill that night, you know. Uh, and once this show is over, we'll go back into the studio and we'll we'll put another uh, show together of a different selection. So it's uh, spoiled for choice, really. But um, that's exciting that there's like potential for a legacy there. Like, 
Jillian for longevity for you to do it again. Yeah. No, I, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've tried to be careful with it. I don't think there'll be too many songs in there that uh, how 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 what am I trying to say here that folk would wouldn't be expecting. You know, I think I think most of the things that people will be expecting will be in there somewhere. Bar one or two, but it's but yeah, like Paul was saying, I don't think you'll ever please everybody, you know, because uh, photo walk away going, oh, I wish they'd, I wish they'd played, and we'll say, yeah, we'll, we'll come, come back next, come back, higher, higher, higher ticket for next year. <laughs> in terms of like your own musical journeys, because obviously David Lowe played, you know, growing up in London, and played the drums. Like, yeah. what has your musical journeys looked like in terms of professional and performing and writing and Composing, like, is that a real smorgasbord of, like, lots of different things for you all? Yes, I mean, I'm playing uh, keys uh, in the band. And, yeah, I had piano lessons when I was young. Uh, when I was at high school, uh, actually, tuba was my main study, which wow. is the unsexiest. <laughs> 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 no, nobody ever got above playing tuba. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tried, I tried high school life, and, you know, pulling a tuba behind you. I, I, as, uh, I was at the back of the queue when they were handing out cool sports. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm having a laugh. I, actually, I still play the tube, but I, I love it. Uh, I actually love how uncool it is. Uh, you may actually even see it. Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> 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 Maybe a wee cameo for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, certainly like my kind of younger performing life, uh, keys, uh, playing bands, uh, uh, and then tuba, etc. I'm an odd study. Uh, and it was, it was a performance degree initially, where tuba mm-hmm. was my uh, was my first study. I kind of specialised in composition in my honours year, uh, and kind of from that point, I, I wasn't performing so much. I focused on writing. I moved out to London and studied composition for screens. I was writing music for film and whatnot. And I made a living doing that in London for five years or so, which was great. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. And uh, when I came back up the road, uh, I was getting married. My, my, my wife's from up here, and. Uh, yeah, I knew Davey. We, mm. we played a, f- a few gigs together. Yeah. Davey taught my brother drums, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I knew Davey and, yeah, kind of got back in contact with Davey. We ended up kind of started working together when I uh, took on this teaching job that I'm there. And, and uh, yeah, it's funny how, you know, just kind of past divergence, yeah, yeah. come, come back together, the, yeah. the stars aligned, so to speak, yeah. when the when the phone rang that fateful night. <laughs> I said, you know, actually, it wasn't even a phone call. I can remember, Davey, it was a Facebook messenger message. <laughs> and it opened, hi, mate, how you doing? Do you like the beat cups? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've not spoken to you five years, but that's quite a... a she must be David. <laughs> so that, that was that was very amazing. What about you again? Uh, just mainly in bands growing up and just playing around the scene. Yeah. Uh, played a few festivals. Nothing like these guys have done. Like Some of the stuff David's done is incredible. To be honest, I, I just played kind of around for fun for years. And then there was a period I took it more seriously. But it was really the pandemic just that moment to actually start playing again and it did make me start thinking this is a part of me that I miss Mm. Yes. and uh, so I started playing again and playing in different bands and so me and Anthony had been playing in another band for a friend Mm -hmm. and uh, the week before that gig the person who was organising messaged me and said look we're looking for an acoustic opener do you want to do it? and there was part of me that was like a week's notice I haven't really done it in a while like and I just eventually I said yes. Mm-hmm. But it's that kind of sliding doors moment because if I hadn't said yes to that, Anthony probably doesn't see me sing properly. Mm-hmm. And then I probably don't get the invite to come in audition. Mm-hmm. So nice. I think for a creative, like for anyone listening to the podcast, it shows you the value of just saying yes <laughs> to a lot yeah. of things. Absolutely. It's so funny, like the, the many people I spoke to post pandemic with that very thing, like just that was a bit of a wake up for like, oh, I yeah. used to do this thing. Mm. You know, like the many people that I 
you know, talk to them, like, oh, I used to dance when I was younger, like, and yeah, okay, I've taken it and made it my job, but that's not necessarily what it needs to be, like, you can have your passion in your life, even if you have another 95 and you do something oh, else, you know I mean? like, yeah, yeah. it's important to, like, just, like, keep these things, and I think as people grow up and they get real jobs and vertical comments, or they have families and stuff, like, hobbies and passions do kind of go by the wayside, do you know what I mean? But I think the pandemic was, like, a good thing for a lot of people. Yeah. As much as it was terrible, I don't want to make light of the pandemic. But like my sister, for instance, like she recorded a full album in lockdown. Mm-hmm. She hadn't gigged for ten years. Wow. But like was heavily yeah. you know, gigging when she was younger and mm-hmm. supported mid June tour and all that when she was younger and then just stopped. I, I think it definitely gave folk an opportunity to, at that time to just, to, to revisit that. Yeah, yeah. Going back to what you were saying earlier about the level of attention to detail, it's mm. a story that I've told a couple of times, but it's the <laughs> that first rehearsal that came in, it's the level of detail with Davey in particular was, I remember the first time they played, they were playing Come Together, and I just remember as I say, I was like, whoa, that's great. And Paul Adams, who's playing bass, turned okay. to Davey and said, that was good, eh? Davey went, seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of, actually, that's the level we're talking about. It was actually six, but I was trying to be Seven is genius. <laughs> There's, uh, I think everyone is obviously aiming for the best. And I think when, when, you've, when, you, when you've got a project like this on the go, I think it, it can't be anything less, really. Yeah. I think you need everyone... Uh, having the you know aiming for this this Correct. the same standards. Correct. Mm. Yep. Not you, Davis. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am not. Yeah. But but that's the two feet to say. Have a reputation here, then. <laughs> In terms of your career to date, like what? Have... Probably a, a similar multi Paul. Probably you know music really took over when I was at high school. Went for drum lessons. Had a really great uh, drum teacher at school. Um, went on to U- uh, University of Strathclyde uh, to study BA Applied Music course as it was back then. It's, it's no longer uh, there now, which is a, which is a real shame because mm-hmm. that really generated a lot of great musicians come out of that course. And they're still really got a lot of presence in, in Scottish music. Guys like, you know, Marco Cofola and Conrad Wisniewski and Leon, Paul Townsrow, guys that are still, Ross Hamilton, you know, guys that are still yeah. at, the, at the top of their game in Scotland. Um, so left uni, graduated with an honours degree, and then got into teaching, and then into different bands like, like Graham, you know, and then I ended up in a band from Glasgow, Terra Diablo, way back 20 years ago, whatever, and we had a wee bit of success in Scotland, and then eventually this, a record label from the States got in cahoots with us and signed us to some record label over in Louisiana, so we went over there for a few years and recorded an album, and did some touring in the US, which was just an unbelievable experience for, mm-hmm. for to do that in your mid twenties. You know, it was just it was un, unreal, really. Um, and then we get dropped, and then, <laughs> like all bands do, uh, and uh, that kind of ran its course. And then from there, just really just getting involved with different, different session works and bands um, for the last, I don't know, like eight, nine, ten years, uh, and different things seem to pop up now and again. You know, and uh, yeah, I've just kind of like. Been around the the Scottish music scene, playing drums for different sort of singer songwriters or different bands, I suppose. But now I think that, that like Graham was saying there, I've, I've done a lot of different bands and and whatnot. But I think this this is the one now that's it's got me really excited, you know. In terms of calling it across the universe, mm. whose decision? How did you just come to that? I don't actually remember. I can't remember who suggested that. Maybe was it, was it, was it Paul? Possibly um, Paul. Who's the, the, one of the leads, like, he's the Paul McCartney. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a few names for. We wanted to call it. A, 
instead more of a instead of having like a band name like the somethings or whatever oh, oh, yeah, yeah. um we wanted to label it as a, a give it a show title mm-hmm. you know make it more showy if you like mm-hmm. uh and a few names floated about back then we had some suggestions but when across universe struck uh, that you know that definitely landed with me i was like I, I like the sound of that you know i think it, it, it you know obviously it's a well-known Beatles song but uh, just the vastness of it, you know, the, the greatness of it, having the word universe in it. And I think the, the greatness side of things really sort of like struck home with what we're trying to do yeah. in terms of the, the size of the project and all that. So it kind of, it all kind of slid into place that way. And then we're going to kind of stuck on the name, you know, and I think it, with the level of detail involved, it, it, it deserved a more of a show title to it, you know. And it just, just kind of separates it a wee bit from from uh, again, like I was saying at the beginning, like I cast, I can't no, generalise Beatles tribute or whatever, or whatever. Getting into the minds of the Beatles mm. and like how they produced their songs in the first place. Like you were talking about, like you know, like techniques that they use and yeah. stuff. Like is that then not just listening to the music, but like watching documentaries or reading up on them, or like just, yeah. like actually trying yep. to get into the psyche mm-hmm. of like how you create that music in the first place and that sound and. The relationship and all that kind of stuff, do you know what I mean? I think the Get Back documentary, certainly for me, is like that gave such an amazing insight into yeah. it. You can scarcely believe it's that kind of Shakespeare thing yeah. where you can't really believe that all this work came from such a small amount of people. Mm-hmm. But it's the um, when you were actually watching them in process of writing a song yeah. in that documentary, and it was, I mean, is the was it something that George Harrison Aye. was writing? Is and at that point. It's something in the way she moves attracts me like a pomegranate. <laughs> and it's like, like you kind of attack. You don't appreciate that they were to have been the biggest band in the world at that point, and they were still really just chipping away at a block of marble. Yeah, it wasn't as if there was some yeah. overarching thing. They just went in and did the work. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with that. That documentary really changed my my kind of view on them. Yeah, I mean, you always associate when, when I was growing up watching old Beatles videos, you would it would be like black and white, grainy, you, you know, footage and all that. But to see, you know, this documentary in color and HD, as if somebody's just basically taking this footage on a mobile phone or whatever. And they, when you break it down, they were just four guys in a room yeah. messing about with songwriting ideas. And like Graham was saying, not having any, you know, they were just kind of goofing around a lot of the time, um, messing about on different instruments, as you, as you would down in, you know, any band does in, in a rehearsal, having a jam. Yeah. Uh, and when you hear the finished product and then you watch this documentary and you think, oh my God, you know, like, like something, for example. I mean, when you hear the, the original demo of something, you're like, you would never in a million years think, how did it get from that mm-hmm. to what you hear on the record? Incredible uh, development in terms of like recording and and how the songwriting structure came around. But when you when you actually see them in a the room together, it's just it's just, just four guys having a bit of a laugh, yeah. really. <laughs> so yeah, just just four pals, I four pals just sort of messing about with different ideas and and I think if you. If you throw around enough nonsense, then something's got to stick. Exactly, definitely. And it's just that chipping away, isn't it? Yeah. For years, albeit, albeit you know, you're not creating original music, Aye. but it's the same process in the sense of like just trying to find the exactness of it. Well, I, it's, it's funny to say that because you're right, and going back to like that first rehearsal, so sending it in my thought, this, this is really exciting, but each, for me anyway, each rehearsal, it's felt like we've added another 4%. Do mm. you know what I mean? Mm. And so, sometimes it feels a bit more than that. I, remember, I can't remember where it was. I think Paul came with his new bass 
one week. Yeah. It was like, oh, right, there, there, there we go. There's yeah. there's another there's another eight percent now. Yeah. Anthony turned up a new guitar. Yeah. And, you know, we we tweaked some pedals and and just it felt like we were felt like we were six out of ten. I did. It feels it really feels like every time we get together, we just get that wee step closer. Mm-hmm. Because you're so relentlessly listening to the records, and every time I listen to the record, there, there's something else. I'm like, oh, do you know what? I haven't been doing that. I'm like, do you know what? Actually, I don't know if he's been doing that. And mm. it's, it's so nice to feel like I, the other seven guys in the room, are doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all just taking just yeah. wee baby steps yeah. to, to get closer to the closer. Just to learn all the time, though. Like oh. you should be. Yeah. You know what I mean, like you should never stop learning. It's a, it's a, it's a lifetime. I mean, what we are doing is, is well, I can only relate so much to the drums, but studying Ringo Starr's drum parts is just it's a, it's a lifetime of study. I mean, he was he was kind of he was a bit unorthodox in his technique and all that. He was left-handed, playing a right-handed drum kit. You know, that's just the way that folk learned back then. Um, there was no such thing as a left-handed drum kit in the sixties, really. Yeah. Um, but. So his his way he played was leading with the left hand. Would I been a right-handed player? Would, so I literally had to learn the other way around. So you know, so in order to get the same type of feel, you know, and dynamic that he had in his playing. Yeah. So basically, the key is just to learn, forget everything you've ever learned about drums <laughs> and do it backwards. So yes, you know. Lovely, like. All very accomplished musicians in your own right. Yeah. Like you're still you're going yeah, you're learning in this project. Uh, we're we're on we're on WhatsApp every other day, like message each other saying, What what do everyone know what that sound is? At, <laughs> at one minute thirty seven in that track, you know, what is he what's going what's going on there? What kind of sound do you think that is? Is it somebody just hitting a table? Is it somebody just <sighs> Feels I don't remember what track it was, but last time we were in the rehearsal, one of the moments that blew me away was um, like you listen to these songs so much, and you listen. I tend to listen to the song in the entirety, mm-hmm. and I don't really pick out individual parts. But mm. what song was it that there was a there's a bass note that sounds like Paul McCartney's hit it by accident? Oh my god, that's that's the way started the fight. It's a point where it's just the guitar, and if you're listening carefully, you hear Paul McCartney and they'll go boom. Yeah, he's obviously made a wee oh. mis- Well, I think it was a mistake. It sounds like a mistake, but we want, we want to play the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but our bass player wasn't playing the mistake. No, no, no. So, can you please play the mistake? Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> so, that's, that's a level of detail. It's like something backing up on the stuff. There's a bit of a clanger of a chord as well. I think it's maybe I got a feeling or something like that. One of the rooftop uh, gigs, uh, rooftop tracks that they did, mm-hmm. uh, which you can forgive them for. You know, it was they were they were actually on the roof playing live at, in, uh, January. in January, freezing cold and all that. You know, I think John Lennon's fingers were freezing up, freezing up at that point, and he does play a few wrong chords, and you can see it. You, you can do, you can, you can kind of hear it on the track, but. We we wanted to still deliver what what, what people hear. Mm. And I'm I'm finding as well like I talk about the level of detail that we're talking about tracks that I thought I knew inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Strawberry Fields actually mm-hmm. was one of them. Uh, 
because we're doing our casual players and we, we have to create dots for them, even though most of the time we're, we're doing it by ear, but you know, the brass players, the string players, the wind players, they'll need notation in front of them. Okay. So that's been one of the tracks that I've been doing is putting that together. And I'm like, I, I've, never, I've never heard that before. Oh my God, oh, actually, right. that, that sounds like that. Oh, where did that come from? Right. Like, the level the level of detail that we have to listen to, and you only hear these wee things when you're really listening, yes. the, the way we have to listen. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's giving me a full new appreciation mm-hmm. for... Well, how talented the, the four the four Beatles were, but the contribution that George Martin's getting there actually great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, George Martin's book, which I'm absolutely loving. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's a reason he was called the fifth Beatle. Like his yeah. contribution is absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. I'm, I'm loving uh, reading more about him and understanding how he contributed to well, so many of the songs that we are doing mm-hmm. uh, because there's orchestral parts in them, which uh, anything mm-hmm. like that George Martin uh, he, he arranged that stuff. Mm-hmm. Elmer yeah. Rigby, you know, that's, that's all you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Just the strings are phenomenal on it. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, the, the level of detail that mm-hmm. we're into. You're discovering something new every yeah. single time. Even Pat Strawberry Fields, I feel I could have sung it in my sleep and I knew mm-hmm. it inside out, but mm-hmm. apparently I didn't. Because yeah. there's so much more that I never realised was there. It is. It makes me feel like I'm in again. Do you know, like, like I first yeah. felt when I was 13 going on, the first yeah. time I heard that thing. What is this? How did somebody come up with this? Yeah. You know, I feel that same way again. Yeah. In, in terms of like the orchestra, you know, the orchestral parts, have they been in rehearsal yet? Or is that something that's happening? Not, yeah. not yet. Oh, it's, it's going to be great. It's, it's, going, to, it's so going to lift it, yeah. I mean, because we're, we're getting pretty excited what we're doing at the moment, but <laughs> this should be the, the icing on the cake once once these guys come in, you know. So if anybody, I mean, there's nobody getting tickets now, so you've had it if you're listening. Oh, you, you're, you can certainly come along. Bring a pal. For anybody who is listening and is coming and obviously is now extremely excited right. about it, give me one word or one sentence that you would say to that person about what they can expect. Well, at the end of uh, one of the lines, and uh, for the benefit of Mr. Kite on Sergeant Pepper's album, said, a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Probably the most famous line from the song, so that'll be my wee sort of corny line. So yeah, that's, a, that's quite a difficult question. Yeah, no, totally sorry. Uh, <laughs> what are you thinking? What, what are you, or even like, what are you most excited for for the audience to experience? Well, selfishly for myself, more than the audience, <laughs> or maybe for everyone, is the the thing for me is like I love to listen to music with headphones because I feel that's the best way you kind of get to feel it, but. To be in the room with the orchestra and the band, to be actually able to feel these songs that you've heard so many times and to actually yeah, get the kinetic energy of how they sound in a room and how that bounces around the room, that's the main thing for me. I just can't wait to, to know what that's like. Hmm. Nice sir. Paul? I think that the people who are coming to this show are real Beatles fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there'll be many who are turning up only knowing the words to Hey Jude. I think, I think these will be real Beatles fans. And I really, really believe that real Beatles fans are really going to enjoy this. Uh, we are, well, we've spoken about how hard we're working here. We've spoken about the joy we're getting from it and we're putting every ounce of our energy and every ounce of our joy into replicating this as closely as possible. And if I can be so bold, I think we're doing a pretty good job so far. Yeah. And I think we're only going to get better. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think... It shouldn't sound too arrogant to say I think we're I think we're going to put on a really good show, and I think Beatles fans are really going to love it, and they're going to appreciate all these wee details that we're talking about. Do you know the fact that it's the proper bass sound, the fact that there's reverb on the, the Fender? I think real Beatles nuts are really going to appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's 
So if you are a real Beatles nut, I think you're really going to enjoy it. We'll have lots of nice uh, visual backdrops, and there'll be a projector with a, with a screen and with, with some a few wee, a few wee nice moments on there as well. Cool. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's that whole experiential thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like thinking about the whole journey, I guess. Because even like in terms of the order of the tracks and how you're going to play them, I guess that's another consideration of like. We, we thought about we, we did think about things like should we do them like chronologically and things like that, but I, I don't think it's going to. I don't think that's going to materialise just logistically more than anything else with, with items on the stage and yeah. whatnot and instruments that need to come on and off the stage, but. Uh, that's still to be decided. That'll probably be another fight. <laughs> I like now that speaking to you, Joe. I mean, and I'm not a Beatles. I mean, I like the Beatles. Yeah. I, I like all their music. You know, my growing up, my dad's a Beatles fan, and mm-hmm. his mate Chick's a massive Beatles fan. So you know, the Beatles have been in my life. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm not an expert by any means. But even just like listening to you, no, yeah, I've got an insight. Yeah. So when I come, I'll be like, wait. You, you kind of know. You expect. <laughs> expect. Uh, <laughs> I did consider us doing the podcast after the fact. Yeah. To tell us all about it and how yeah. it was. But I think it's nice that we've done it now because if somebody's coming to it, they've got that. Yeah, I think they're saying that we level of expectation before they, they come to see the show and what, what it's all about. Yeah. And, and not like my mum. The first thing she asked me was, are you, are you going to play She Loves You? Can we dance, can we dance nails to She Loves You? And I'm like, no, no, you, you absolutely c- won't be getting that at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, mum, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it, I love it. Um, now, being on the Run the Brave, we've got our traditions, you see, and right. I do a thing called the Hingamajigs. These are just random questions that I like to ask my guests. You can say pass okay. if you've not got an answer. Uh, or you can nominate a pal if uh, you think they would right. answer better. Does a pal have to be here, is it? <laughs> 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 right. If you could share the stage with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? Let's let's say we're not allowed to see the Beatles. That's too, that's too obvious. Right. Okay. That that's that does change it. That changes changes it. Eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I need to think of something else. There. Uh, for me, my favourite artist of all time, the artist that I never ever fall out of love with is Led Zeppelin. So somebody from either Led Zeppelin as the band or, or Robert Plant, I suppose. Uh, I often think have you ever seen videos of like celebrities meeting like who who they, who they also love and they kind of just lose control? I often think if I met Robert Plant on Jimmy Page that I, I don't mm-hmm. think I'm able to function. Yeah. So yeah, Led, somebody from Led Zeppelin. Like it, like it. Um. Mm, I would probably go in a similar vein. I would go for Elliot Smith. I think from the videos I've seen, it was a very unique vibe in the rooms where he played, and he played in Glasgow as well a couple of times. That famously at the Sleazy's open mic, he showed up quite a few times. Yeah, he was seen a girl from Glasgow and wow, is that right? yeah, he played the house guitar that's still used there to this day. Wow, uh, I would say David Bowie or Bowie. That's, a, that's another debate in itself. Is, is it Bowie? Is it Bowie? And regrettably, I never ever got to see him live. And I think the best performance I've ever seen was probably Glastonbury 2000 when he headlined. Yeah. Uh, or was it 2002? Was it, I think it was 2000 maybe. Um, and that was for me, I just uh, watching that on the TV. And it, it was repeated actually just uh, maybe last year. That was just the best thing I've ever seen musically. Um, I wish I'd been there. And the whole time I'm watching this 
this guy I'm thinking, I don't really believe in God, but if there is one, that was probably it on the stage in Glastonbury, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. But uh, uh, he was just, he was something else, you know. Um, aye, so to, to, to be on that stage with him would have been, would have been good, even just to go to see him actually. You mm-hmm. know? But, yeah, a hero, a total hero. And because it's called The Broad and the Brave, what is your favourite Scots word or phrase? I've always been really, I've always been really fond of the word coaching. <laughs> For me, coaching would be it's it's busy. Aye, there's, there's a lot of things. Is scran a Scottish word? Is that a Scottish word? I would have thought so. I would have thought so. Uh. See, the, the the reason it's notable for me is uh-huh. the first time I heard the word scran is when I was twenty five, and then it showed up everywhere <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> it, it feels like a conspiracy. <laughs> but I was just kidding. I have the same thing with prosecco. I feel like it showed up fifteen years ago. Prosecco. It's just everywhere. It's just everywhere. And everyone pretends it was there before. See what Anthony said. Uh, I've invited this guy Graham into additions. You have to tell him that Scran and Prosecco were invented to 50 years ago. That's what he said to us all before, before he brought you in. I'll say, and purely because we had such a laugh when I was in America, because Americans like love like all the diet, all this slang and all that was pure rank. <laughs> and, and we used that all the time we were in the States. And there was guys in the studio going like that. Did you just say pure Pure rank. <laughs> but I, but like maybe a guitar take. Oh, that was pure rank. Can I do that again? Again, they see the engineer going rank. <laughs> and then we just use that the entire time we're there. So we're out in the restaurant. If the if the, if the fries weren't any decent, oh, they're pure rank. Man. And then all of a sudden, these American guys are all you know. They're starting, and for the whole time we're there, it's like it's pure rank, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I just, just stuck with me like just that simple wee phrase, you know. Apparently, this is a Scottish word. I moved to London. Out with. Yes, of course, correct. <laughs> but it's, it's such a good point. Folk looked at me like, I mean, folk looked at me like I had horns when I was going on. Nobody understood what I was saying, but when I say out with, they were like, do you mean without? And I'm like, no, no, that, that, that's different. It's a different one. It took me until I, so yeah, I, I'm with you on Scran and Prosecco, because yeah. to me that was a normal word until I was in my mid 20s in London and I realised, no, this, this isn't a normal word down there. Yeah. Out with Scotland, it's not a word. Out with Scotland, never knew that. See, you learn something new. Uh, Education. Educational podcast. <laughs> 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 this has been a joy. Thanks so much for coming and doing this. It's been great fun. Thanks very much for having us. I'm so excited that I can get to go to this. But I'm just excited for you, like what you've got to look forward to in the next couple of months before you even get on stage and do this in front of your audience. Like there's so much more joy and stuff to find. And yeah, I'm just I totally admire you for doing this because it sounds like an epic project, but totally worthwhile. Put a few grey hairs in the head. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now. <laughs>